Imagine suddenly without warning being forced into quarantine so you don't contaminate your family. Imagine suddenly without warning, you no longer have access to your normal emotional comforts. Imagine suddenly without warning, you have to give it to yourself. Imagine suddenly without warning, you go from invincibility to sheer panic in one week. This is my story on how coronavirus saved my life. How Coronavirus Saved My Life, Episode 14, The Dysregulation. I have decided to change my podcast format up a bit. Frankly, I'm tired of telling my story, which I hear from my therapist friend, Sandy. That's a good thing. I have worked in the mental health field for many years and along the way have met many beautifully, highly intelligent, educated people who have been taught tools to teach us to heal. I know some of the tools that have helped me heal, but some of the tools I have may not help others. The hope is it does, but I have decided to now reach out to all of these beautiful people that I've met along the way and do more of an interview style podcast format. I have been off Facebook probably for almost two years and I stopped going on there because working with psychotic, aggressive people, the last thing I want to do is come home and read about how someone got cut off in traffic or what the president's doing to people or how miserable everybody is. I did not realize at the time I was already starting to lay the groundwork for self-care. Um, then traveling through my journey and all of that with coronavirus and really focusing on that definitely was still no more, no Facebook. As I have shifted and started to tell my story, I started to want to rejoin Facebook and tell my friends that I haven't talked to in a couple of years, my, my story. But what was holding me back was fear, fear of my mother as she is very well known to message my friends, my friends' mothers, and start talking so much trash about me. I mean, like bring up things I did when I was 14. And I was allowing her to once again control me. So I decided and realized that it didn't matter. No matter what I did, she's going to do what she does. And I will not allow her to hold me back anymore. So when I got on Facebook, I instantly got messages of just pure love from people. And it was almost overwhelming. And I'm so um, grateful to, to have people that, an army of love with people. So um, as I was getting on there, um, I saw my old friend, Sandy, who I used to work with at a psych hospital many moons ago. And her posts about emotional dysregulation and the way she speaks about childhood trauma and the way she connects the words was like poetry to my ears. I felt like I was on this ocean of these gentle waves just rocking me. And the way she puts it all together and makes the connections was very profound to me. I knew immediately she had to be my first guest. So thank you, Sandy, so much for, for being my first guest. I'm very, I have chills right now because I'm really, really excited. 
Um, so oh, thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. I, I just love the way you talk about things and we'll, we'll get into that. I've, I've highlighted some stuff, girl. Um, but if you would just give the audience kind of a brief background, educational background and, and how you got, how you wanted to do what you wanted to do. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm a licensed professional counselor, and it was kind of a long road getting there. Um, it came out of my own background of trauma growing up uh, in, a, in a household that was affected by World War II. My mother was actually a trauma survivor of World War II, and uh, so there was a lot of PTSD in the home when I was growing up. And as I got older, um, I realized that I had learned to speak the language of trauma very well over the years. Mm. Um, And so I went back to school. When I went to college, I got a degree in criminal justice with the hopes of becoming a police officer and helping people like that. Um, I graduated and then through a friend, uh, ended up in the field of mental health, which really as of day one, I knew that that was where I was going to be. Um, so after that, it became a process of going back and getting my master's degree and getting my, uh, getting my license and, uh, Finally, in 2001, I did get my license and I've been a licensed professional counselor for about 20 years now. So that's kind of and what made me want to do it was that um, I just really felt a calling to help people with mental illness. Um, I had struggled with my own problems with anxiety after Mm. growing up in an environment of trauma and um you know, was able to learn a lot of things that helped me. And in turn, I wanted to help other people. So that's kind of where I'm, you know, that's, that's why I'm where I'm at today. That is so beautiful. And I feel like, you know, most of us that work in mental health, there's a reason why we're all drawn to it, because, you know, it's (laughs) all of our childhood, you know, Right. It, it, it truly is. And, um, you know, and I think when we have something, when we gain knowledge, we have a responsibility to give that knowledge to other people. And so I think that's kind of been my, that's been my view of what I do is I see what I do as education primarily. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. I love that you share that. And I love that you're so forthcoming about your own um, past because, you know, we are in, you know, medical professionals and just because we are medical professionals does not mean that we are on some pedestal or better than you or have more power. We're all equal. So, you know, to give people, you know, to educate them and tell them that's just, I just, just beautiful. And I, so I love, this is what I love about how your, your Facebook post starts. Um, there's nothing like it, it's just it just starts off like poetry. It, it just it's like you know you, <laughs> I just love it. It's like you're like today I want to talk about dot dot dot, and you're like saying I want to talk about. It's not hey you should you know you 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 know because people will shut down. I love that you start mm-hmm. off that way. It's beautiful. Um, but the emotional, when you were talking about, you posted something about emotional dysregulation, I'm going to read a little bit about your, read your post. Okay. 
Um, okay. Okay. You said, I want to talk about emotional dysregulation today. It's a bodily response to any kind of major stress, especially trauma, which is common in adults who have a past history of child abuse. And, um, and it takes on the form of emotional dysregulation. When you started describing the symptoms, I was like, what? Oh my God. Because I mean, this is just totally, I was like, oh my God, me, 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 where you were talking about, they can be very mild. They can range from mild brain fog to a full blown panic attack, episodes of dissociation, the physical sensations, stumbling and dropping things constantly. Yes. A thousand percent. And then having difficulty getting words out and then feeling like you're having a stroke or going crazy. I, for myself, when I start um, dropping things or I can't open things and I, I now stop and take a breath. I tell myself I'm safe. Now I, I just say, I need to just stop and rest. Um, and, mm-hmm. and there's something I get, something's happening, but I, so why does our, why does that our body do that? Okay, well, what I thought we'd talk about first today, I'm going to talk about two things. And the first thing is the the brain itself. Um, Basically, and this is going to be kind of the the simple version. uh, The brain has three parts. There's the back part of the brain that has to do with survival and that has to do with breathing and heart rate and respiration and all of that. Um, Then there's the middle part of the brain that has to do with emotion and emotional expression. And then there's the front part of the brain that has to do with thinking. So um, those are kind of the three parts of the brain. And I'm going to refer to those as we go on. Um, But basically when you're talking about emotional dysregulation, you're talking about the front thinking part of the brain just kind of switches off. Mm. Um, there's there's a, a a thing called fight or flight. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. I'm sure you have. Yes. So basically what happens is that that fight or flight part of your brain is in that middle part of your brain. Mm. And when that gets triggered, the front thinking part of your brain goes offline. And so all your body wants to do is to either run or fight or freeze. And so anything, you know, if you're carrying dishes around, your body doesn't care that you're carrying dishes around. It's going to drop the dishes and want to run. Okay. (laughs) So when, when, when emotional dysregulation happens, all of that thinking part, that logical part, that day-to-day part of our lives is, is offline basically. And so we are in a, we can't think we can't, we get that brain fog. Um, we, we drop things. Have you ever had a really, really bad crush on a guy before yes. and you didn't know what to say and you're just going, that's yes. exactly what that response is. It's that front thinking part of the brain goes offline and you're left with that middle part of the brain that's like either run or fight or flee or whatever. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, and that's, it can cause all kinds of physical symptoms uh, because that middle brain sends message, sends messages all over the body 
Um, It sends messages to the adrenal glands to secrete adrenaline and you get all kinds of bodily sensations. You can have a rapid heart rate. You can have sweats. You can have tingling. You can have sick stomach. Um, Just pretty much any symptom you can think of that's an anxiety symptom is caused by that, by the action of adrenaline in the body. So that is absolutely fascinating because I have been saying like when that happens, I always I say my brain literally shuts down and literally that Mm -hmm. part of your brain shuts down. Yes, it's that um, that that front part of your brain shuts down, that thinking part of your brain shuts down. And so one of the things that you can do to help that process is to kind of take a deep breath, step back and give yourself time to kind of settle down and allow that front thinking part of your brain to come back on. Um, I know for me, conflict is very dysregulating. So if I'm in Mm -hmm. an argument with somebody, Mm -hmm. I have to tell myself, okay, let's come back at this in another hour or so, or let's, let's revisit this. Or just even if I have to step outside of a room for two minutes to take a deep breath let that frontal part of my brain come back online and then continue talking because, you know, if I, if, if I don't, I'm going to get myself in trouble Yeah, because <laughs> that yeah. middle part of the brain will take over. Yeah. So, so definitely, so you know, slowing things. Yeah. I, I think the brain is just a fascinating place. It really is. And it, it, the, the, the wisdom of the brain. Mm-hmm. So what's also interesting, because when we're children, that part, that front part of our brain isn't developed. So it like literally it's like back at childhood. It's it's very fascinating. Um, yes. Um, I love that you're able to recognize like, you know, when, you know, there's an argument or things are escalating that you're able to recognize that like that's one of your triggers. Like for me. If something, um, if a plan or something that normally everything goes smooth, um, something suddenly changes, that's where I go. My brain shuts down and it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. I don't know what, I don't realize I have choices like that brain, that part of my brain is literally gone. And I just, I, I get into freeze mode, frustration mode. And then, but, um, I, one thing I've been doing is like telling myself, like, Christine, you have many choices. Like, you know, let's say I get in my car and the battery's dead, you know, and I got to get to work, you know, my brain will shut down. Mm -hmm. That happened to me about a month ago and my brain Mm -hmm. shut down. And so now it's like, it's like, I'm having to retrain my brain and like, you have many choices. Yes. Yes. And you do. And, you know, part of part of getting through crises is is planning for the crisis. We mm. we decided a long time ago, my husband and I are older. So we decided a long time ago we were tired of getting stuck by the road. So we got an automobile service. So if anything mm-hmm. happens, I just call the automobile service and, and boom, they're there. Yeah. So. Um, so, but, but definitely there are, there are always choices. And sometimes, like I say, it's just that process of stepping back, taking a breath, giving yourself five minutes to rest, and then kind of think, uh, enable yourself to think more clearly. Mm -hmm. So, so the breathing, the breathing helps that, that front part of your brain get back online. 
Yes, because what the breathing, if you slow your breathing down in, even if you're in the middle of a panic attack, if you slow your breathing down, you will instantly start to calm the body because you're sending a message to the brain. Oh, hey, you know, she's breathing. Okay. She's not, you know, she's not like (gasps) gasping Uh for air. So, oh, okay. So things, things aren't as bad as they seem. So the brain will already start to calm itself down just a little bit. So breathing is super, super important. If you find yourself in a panic attack or in one of those moments where you can't think straight Um, and definitely the breathing, the, the slow breathing, you know, you breathe into the count of eight, hold it for four seconds, breathe out to the count of eight. You know, you can do just very slow. Yes. In hold the breath. And then out. And you do that for, you know, a couple of minutes. And that is going to send a very clear message to your brain that, hey, we're okay. Things are doing okay. It may not make the panic attack go away, but it will make it better. Oh, that is just, I love that. I love that. I love that so much. Um, One thing that I also loved in your, um, one of your posts where you were talking about, the difference between self-nurturing and self-protection as a t- the two key components of trauma treatment. I did not even think of self-protection. Like, I mean, yeah, we, oh, let me take care of myself, like take the baths and all that stuff. But the self-protection uh, where you were like about those two little letters, N-O. I setting mm-hmm. boundaries. Oh, my God, girl. That is awesome. Yes. Well, that those are concepts that were developed by Pete Walker, who mm-hmm. is a therapist, and he writes a book called Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving. Mm-hmm. And um those are concepts that he talks about in his book. And like I say, he's a he's a therapist as well. Um And we do, we think about the self-nurturing a lot. You know, we all hear about the, oh, take a warm bath and Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff, being good to yourself. But we don't think about protecting ourselves. We don't think about, you know, typically, and and I don't want to step on any toes, but there's typically kind of the maternal role and the paternal role. And the maternal role is nurturing and the paternal role is protecting. Mm-hmm. And in a child that has grown up with abuse or neglect, one or both of those is usually missing. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times, someone may have the self-nurturing aspect, but they don't have the self-protection aspect. And so their boundaries get violated over and over Uh, and over again. You know, this is, this is the person that says yes to everything because they've never learned to say no. Um, And so it's, it's real important that we have both of those, both the self-nurturing and the self-protecting. So Yes, that is, that is beautiful. And I mean, and two, it's, it's, it can be, it's not just a person, it's like a whole family thing of, we don't do Mm self-protection, right? Right. And well, in, in, in a child that's been abused, especially the the child that's been abused, their boundaries have been violated and they're Mm -hmm. told basically 
in not so many words, but they're told you can't say no. You're going to have to put up with this or, you know, whatever. You're, you're going to have to withstand this abuse because I'm not going to let you say no. Um, so that child uh, doesn't learn to protect themselves because they've never had an example of being protected. Um, so that, like I say, that's the important part that a lot of people don't connect with. Um, wow. cause we, you, yeah, you can see articles everywhere about self-nurturing and self-care, but right. very rarely do you see anything about self-protecting. You are so right about that. I feel like that we need to go on a self-protecting campaign because I mean, anybody can put some bubble bath and some warm water and get in it. Right. But that self-protecting mm-hmm. piece is so important. And actually what it does is it builds, I mean, people like if you set a boundary, you know, it's like, oh, fear, what's going to happen? I'm going to lose whatever the person or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But I have learned uh, through my experience that when I do, as I'm building my, you know, muscle, my boundary muscle, I grow stronger. I feel more confident. It's, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it, it's not scary. And I've had such great responses from people. And it builds this level of trust within myself. Like, okay, it is okay to say, you know, this is what I need. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's what self-protection is about is having the, the courage to say, and it's scary to say no. If you've grown up in an environment of abuse, it's hard to say no. It's, it's really, it's, it can be very terrifying for yes. people to, to say no, because they're afraid of that. That's going to come with judgment or that's going to come with rejection or ultimately going to come with some type of abuse because mm. that's what happened in the past. So yeah. setting, like I said, setting boundaries is a scary thing. So it's, it's a very courageous thing, but you know what? We can do hard things in life. We, we truly can. Right. For sure. For sure. Um, and, and I, and I love how you were talking about like the, um, they never learned it growing up. Cause there was one of your posts where you were talking about things we model for our kids, whether we realize it or not. This was so eye-opening mm-hmm. for me, like, like how we care for animals. Like I'm always screaming at the cat, like, you know, all that, like, even though we go, <laughs> get off the cat, you know, he's like knocking water over and stuff. And I'm like, God dang it. You know, I mean, that is like, that is like hurts your ears, you know, screaming at the cat, you know, um, <laughs> and then how we ask for help. Oh my gosh. That was such a big one because I have. I am working on it, Sandy, but asking for help has been such a struggle for me because it's like, I got to do it all because well, just like Mm -hmm. my previous marriage was like, when I would ask for help, it never really went well. So uh, it never got Mm -hmm. done right. It never got done perfectly, Sandy. Okay. Don't judge me. Um, But uh, (laughs) asking for, asking for help, like, it's, I don't know what, what is that? What is that? Why is it we, we have difficulty asking for help? Well, because we've been failed in the past, first mm-hmm. of all. Um, second of all, it has to do with a need to control our environment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's very much with anxiety, there's a, there's, there's, like I was telling you the other day, anxiety is a three-legged stool, there's a combination of perfectionism. There's a combination of the need for control 
and there's a combination of fear of uncertainty. Mm. And when we ask, yes. And when we ask somebody else for help, we tap into all three of those. Are they going to do it the way I want it done? (laughs) You know, (laughs) my God, how can I, how can I control the outcome? How can I, you know, how can I be certain of this process that it's going to be okay? So those are all things, like I say, those are all things that, that tap into that inability to ask for help. I had no idea that I've been carrying around this three-legged stool with me my whole life. Wow. That is mind-blowing <laughs> right now. I'm My mind is blown. Like, all of that is, you know, that's that's interesting. But, yeah, because, I, you know, I'll tell my daughter, like, if you're struggling with something, ask your teacher for help. And I'm sitting here, won't even ask anybody for help, but I'm telling her how is she supposed to I – mean, they, they learn by our behaviors, not our words, right? Right. They do. They do. Kids, kids model what they see. Just, you know, and we model what we've learned growing up and they model what they learned growing up. But the nice mm-hmm. thing about it is, is that every generation has a chance to make new choices. Mm. So, um, you know, that's kind of one of the things. One of my favorite um one of my favorite psychiatrists is Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. Have you ever heard of him? Uh-uh. He wrote a little, he is a trauma uh, psychiatrist, and he wrote a little book that was an absolute blockbuster in 2014 called The Body Keeps the Score. I've heard of that and book, yes. Yes. And what fascinated me most was his story. Um, His dad was actually in World War II, just like my mom was. And he is kind of that second generation after World War II. And in reading his book, he experienced a lot of the same traumas that I experienced growing up. And so for me, his book was just absolutely foundational in um, kind of explaining that generational aspect of we learn from our parents, but he also made a different choice. He came out of that trauma and became a psychiatrist. So you're right. Our parents modeled for us and we model for our children, but we have a choice to model differently. I so love I love that. We all have choices. Well, I mm-hmm. really, really- yes. I really, really appreciate you coming on my podcast and um, oh, certainly these things. I feel I have so many more things to ask you. So I don't think this is the <laughs> end. I think this is the beginning because I just have so many questions. Um, I love you, Sandy. Okay. I appreciate your time so much. Oh, thank you so much, Christine. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>